you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of the Queer Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Lorna Goodwin. And one of my favorite things about getting toward the end of the year is looking back and recapping some of the best moments, or in this case, some of the best pieces of advice I've gotten from guests on the show. And since we've published almost 50 episodes this year with hours of interview content, I thought it would be helpful if we divided the top pieces of advice into specific categories, starting with mental health. So with the help of Aaliyah, we've rounded up audio clips from a variety of episodes focused on providing advice about mental health that change our approach from things like burnout to boundaries. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. Hi, friends. I'm Cameron Rogers, host of Freckle Foodie and Friends podcast, which is now on Dear Media. Are you wondering what just happened to your life after having a baby or struggling with your mental health during postpartum? That was me just a few months ago. Are you working on healing your relationship with yourself, your body, and or food? Same. We are all on a journey to self-love and acceptance, and I am right there with you. That's what Freckle Foodie and Friends is all about, reminding you that no matter what, you are not alone. Make sure to tune in for season five, launching with Dear Media on November 9th and subscribe to listen to new episodes every Wednesday morning. The first episode in our roundup of the best mental health advice we heard in 2022 comes from Dr. Sasha Sorkian, who talks about procrastination, an annoying label and behavior that many have probably dealt with. Dr. Sasha spoke to us about how procrastination has a lot less to do with our time management skills and way more to do with our relationships as a child. Here's what she had to say. So people believe that procrastination is a time management issue. And that's the first mistake, you know, but so much research now can really point to the fact that it's an emotional regulation issue. So essentially, we're postponing a task that we know is important, despite knowing that it also will negatively impact us, which then tends to make us feel, again, negatively about ourselves. So, okay, what is, you know, emotional regulation or how is this emotional regulation issue? Since our ability to emotionally regulate, so our ability to manage and respond to an emotional experience is born through our childhood experiences, it is also believed that procrastination is. So where we find our emotional experiences and much where we find ourselves to have much more difficult emotional experiences, we find that 
this will later shape our cognitive processes as adults. So this means that procrastinators can actually look to their attachment styles with their earlier caregivers for some idea of where this is born. So children, for instance, who experience more guilt, anxiety, resentment, or anger towards their parents, actually research reveals that they have higher rates of procrastination, which tells us, again, that this has so much to do with our initial attachment styles and our earlier relationships with our caregivers, whoever that may be. It doesn't necessarily have to just be a parent. It can be your teachers as well. So the anxious attached child or the avoidant attached child, again, has higher rates of procrastination, which makes a lot of sense because if you look at you know, the securely attached child, this is someone who felt that their emotional needs were met. They felt a sense of autonomy. They felt love. They felt supported. And because of that, they aren't as afraid of failure. So that doesn't mean that, you know, they go through life without feeling failure or they go through life even being okay with failure, but they're able to regroup and self-regulate after a failure. So they become much more approach oriented because they have enough inner support, you could say, as children that allow them to go out into the world, explore, mess up, and come back and still feel like they'll be you know, supported. They'll still have that autonomy. And on the flip side, if you grew up in a home where failure meant you, know, you were less than or you didn't have that containment to come back to, you then really begin to believe that you're personally flawed over time. You know, you really personalize these experiences. So While children can be extremely resilient, they're also more likely than adults to associate and attribute experiences that happen outside of them to themselves because we're just much more egocentric as children. So because of that, you personalize everything and you become much more avoidant oriented because that fear that comes along with failure is more substantial. And then the ability to pick oneself back up isn't as readily available. So the avoidant behavior is actually a result of not avoiding the behavior itself, but the feelings associated with completing or not completing the task, like the anxiety, the self-doubt, the boredom. So either way, you know, these negative emotions really amplify procrastination and then ironically lead to more stress and more negative emotions. Later in the episode, Dr. Sasha talks about how to actually face these ingrained patterns as an adult. I highly recommend checking out the full episode because she provides some great tips for dealing with procrastination in an actually effective manner. Our second episode in our roundup comes from our episode with career contessa coach Jackie Ross. Jackie and I discuss mental fitness and why it's just as important as physical fitness. One of my favorite parts of the episode is when Jackie gave us actionable ways to get out of our heads and into our bodies during moments of stress. One of the things that we do is really work on getting out of our head and getting into our body. So I'm going to use, I'm going to kind of share a technique if that's okay. And we can kind of do it together. And it might seem like a little silly and goofy, but trust me, there are thousands of techniques And you have to see what works for you and which ones, you know, are actually things that don't necessarily help. So I'm in the scenario, I'm a little bit frustrated, I'm irritated, I recognize that. I want to focus my attention on one physical sensation in my body. I want to get grounded into my body. So, you know, I could take two of my fingers, like if you look, I'm taking two of my fingers and you literally just rub them together 
with this level of intensity that I can feel like the ridges on my fingers together. And chatter might be happening in my head, but I'm going to continually kind of command myself to focus on this one physical sensation. And I then might take one hand against the other and rub the hand up and down so that I literally feel all the physical sensations in my fingers and my hands. And what that does is it actually shifts the activity in my brain to focus more on where I can use some more positive emotions. So that's just one example. Another example is you could take something off your desk. And this is the beauty of these techniques. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to meditate somewhere else, although that's really amazing techniques as well. It's really meant to be done in your active life. Like as you're like in that conversation with that person and you're finding you're getting triggered or you're in your office and you're feeling that level of stress increase. So you could take an object off of your desk. Like I have these stones on these crystals on my desk and you might just look at it again. It's about focusing on one physical sensation for a minute or two and doing your best to keep your attention on that physical sensation. So right now I'm just looking at this crystal and I'm paying attention to all the features that it has and all the details that I might not have noticed. And I'm just focusing there. So that's what we call these PQ reps, these kind of moments that we really focus on a physical sensation that we really try to incorporate and inject throughout the entire day. Aren't those exercises so great? Jackie has so many other great actionable tips and examples in this episode. It was jam-packed with tools and tricks to keep your mental fitness in check. Plus, she's one of our Career Contessa coaches, so if you want to book a session with her, I'll link to her page in the show notes. Our third episode on our mental health roundup comes from Dr. Justin Henderson's episode on why self-care is not the solution for burnout. I think many of us have heard the advice to just take some time for self-care if you're feeling burnt out. But what we learned from Dr. Justin is that it's not so much up to the individual. Workplaces need to focus on creating a work environment that prevents burnout. I asked Dr. Justin about red flags to look out for in the work environment. Here's what he had to say. There's some common ones. Probably the one that we've seen most prominent during the pandemic is excessive workloads. And we saw this emerging before the pandemic where average American workers and and in other countries as well have noted that they're, you know, they're being asked to do more with less. But in fact, that almost seems like the mantra of the modern worker um, and a modern organization, right? It's, I have to do more with less. And so we know that excessive workloads are a strong contributor towards burnout because people feel as though they're not being as effective. When you have more work to do, that, that brings about more stress. But generally speaking, the research also demonstrates that we become much less effective at a certain point in hours of work per week. Particularly, research has shown that if you're working over 50 hours a week, you're probably less efficient of a worker than someone who's working less. And we, we've even seen this with countries that work far less than even Americans 
have actually shown that have much more efficient and productive modes of employment. And so excessive workloads doesn't necessarily lead to better outcomes from that numeric perspective, as you were saying, but also workers themselves can feel the strain of that and for very little reward. The other kind of major contributor is what's kind of in the literature noted as worker autonomy. And this is something that within work environments, we have to get creative about because certain jobs, there may be less autonomy at face value, but where you can give workers the flexibility in their schedule or discretion. And what I think about this is that this is a reflection of trust that organizations have with the people who work for them. And a lack of trust is generally represented in a lot of micromanaging. And so trust is critical for community care. And without that trust in the working environment, the person feels as though that their individual preferences or their ways of being able to make decisions are taken from them. And this is represented in our larger work environment. And the United States is one of the leading creators of the assembly line as our work environment. And that was all about stripping away individual discretion. And yes, it made people more efficient, but short-lived. People didn't want to work those jobs very long. And the problem is there's still this tendency, even in like tech and other environments, that they want to just make things more and more efficient. But that isn't really how human work works, if that makes sense. So I think those two, and then I would say the third major component here is destructive or toxic competition amongst coworkers. And so when you have these competing demands and low resources and you have to do more with less, you start to see that sometimes the workers that are rewarded the most might be the least healthy in the system. They're the ones answering emails at late hours. They're the ones who have poor boundaries between their work life and their professional life. And then worst yet, if the organization rewards that person and sends a message to the rest of the community that, hey, in order to do well in this environment and to be seen and given rewards means that you have to overextend yourself. And this promotes burnout as a status symbol. And in fact, in some environments, burnout is kind of seen as a goal to demonstrate that you're hustling, you're grinding. And think about these words that we're using about work, hustle, grind. These don't actually sound like the language of efficiency from my perspective. And so that exploitation is something that we have to be really mindful of. And when an individual worker feels exploited, they're more likely to experience burnout. This episode is so important. Dr. Justin shares so many valuable tips, both for individual workers and especially for organizational leaders and managers. If you have ever felt burnt out or feel like your team is experiencing burnout, check out this full episode. Our final clip in our mental health roundup comes from our episode with Liz Fosling and Molly West Duffy, authors of Big Feelings, How to Be Okay When Things Are Not Okay. Liz and Molly provided us with so many specific exercises and personal anecdotes on how to deal with big emotions. We've pulled two clips from this episode, one from Liz and one from Molly. Here's Liz on two useful exercises to do when feeling overwhelmed. The two that come to mind for me that I've actually found most personally useful, one is from the chapter on uncertainty, and it's adopting this phrase, I am a person learning to blank. It's really common when we're not sure of the future to start really leaning into anxiety and imagining the worst case scenario and freaking out. And then I talk about this in the book, the self-narrative of like, I don't know what to do. 
therefore I'm a terrible person. Therefore I'm immediately going to get like fired or lose everything. I worked so hard. It's just, it's really fast spiral into dark places. And so to shift into a healthier mindset that also allows you to give yourself some grace. It's not, I'm a terrible manager. I don't know how to manage a remote team. It's I'm a person learning to be a manager of a remote team during a global pandemic. And that phrase alone is like, oh, that's a big task. And so I'm not going to know everything on day one. And that's totally fine. I just moved to a new city. I'm a person learning to adjust to a completely new routine and try to make friends and establish myself in this new place. So I found that really helpful. And the other one is from our chapter on despair. And so it's really when you're going through something that's so hard and those emotions feel completely all-consuming, this concept of time chunking can really help. So it's it's not like, what am I going to do this week? It's really, I just need to breathe and make it through the next hour. Or sometimes I just need to make it through this moment. And that's really what we try to dig into in the book is like, how do you just get through those really hard emotions so that you can get to a place where you are able to step back and reflect and learn from it? You're not always in that headspace. So it's just like, I am just going to practice self-care, binge watch Netflix, because today the only thing I need to do is make it through the day. Molly talked about dealing with burnout in comparison. I've experienced burnout. Liz has experienced burnout. And we ignore a lot of the warning signs before we get into like full-blown burnout. And we're like, yeah, I know I need to like more take more breaks during the day or I know I need to take a Friday off, but I'm not going to do that because I'm rolling on adrenaline right now. And then suddenly you crash and you have to take like, you know, months off. I think the other thing where that comes up is around comparison, where it's like, okay, if I'm struggling with comparison, I have to get off all of social media and that will solve all of my problems. And it's just very reductive and like, you know, it's, it's, it's appealing as a, a thinking method. You're like, well, I can't solve this unless I do it totally 180 degrees from this. But instead catching ourselves in the moment and say like, okay, what do I have control over today or this week? So in the case of burnout, one thing that I've been trying to do better is on Sundays, looking at my week and noticing, okay, if I have a couple days in a row with back-to-back meetings, I know that I'm going to feel really drained after those days. And I just can't keep doing that to myself. That's not fair. That's not a kind way to treat myself. And so how do I push back some of those meetings or cancel some of those meetings? People do that to me all the time. And so, you know, I, I am allowed to do that and taking care of myself, like in the, in between moments. So it never gets that bad. Same thing with comparison. We talk about Getting off social media, unfortunately, is not going to make you free of comparison. (laughs) I wish that were the case, but we live in a society where we're connected in many other ways. And so, you know, are there ways that you can be on social media? Like I, you know, don't have it on my phone, but I can look at it on my computer when I want to. And instead think about what are the, the ways, and again, we go into this in the chapter that I can deal with that comparison more on a day-to-day level, which is reminding myself to compare myself, not only to the people who are doing better than me or who I think are doing better than me, but maybe the people who aren't as far as along as I've made it in whatever I'm thinking about. We love having Liz and Molly on the pod. They always remind us to give ourselves some grace when dealing with stress coming from work or life. And by the way, we created a communication guide with Liz and Molly, which you can download for free at careercontested.com. I'll link to it in the show notes as well. Well, there you have it. A roundup of the best mental health advice we've heard from guests this year. 
We've made sure to link to each individual episode in the show notes. Lastly, one of our favorite topics related to mental health is confidence. With confidence and trust in yourself, you can more easily overcome challenges, set and enforce boundaries, and advocate for what you need. That's why we created The Confidence Crunch, our online course that teaches you how to strengthen your confidence muscles in just 21 days. Check out the course in the show notes and become a more confident you in 2023. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast. Please remember to rate our show and leave a review. I know everyone asks, but they really do help get our show recommended to new listeners. And please let us know what future topics you'd like us to cover on the show. You can email us at info at or you can DM us on Instagram.